Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by Snowflake in Jumbo Ch-Ch-Ch-Cheese. Today, we're discussing Canadian linebacker Enoch Mwamba retiring from pro football. The Hamilton Tiger Cats signing the son of former NFL superstar Randy Moss. Sergio Castillo re-upping with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. A former CFL Award nominee being arrested. And the passing of former CFL defensive lineman Craig Rowe. But first. A former strength and conditioning coach is suing the Toronto Argonauts for wrongful termination and franchise quarterback Chad Kelly for harassment. The coach, who was not identified in the original report by TSN's Rick Westhead, alleges that Kelly repeatedly sought to initiate romantic connections with her. In November of 2023, the lawsuit alleges he accused her of being romantically involved with another member of the Argos, resulting in a verbal confrontation and later, allegedly, threats. She also accuses that nothing was done about the situation after she brought it forward to head strength and conditioning coach Usama Mushtaba and assistant general manager John Murphy, with Murphy allegedly telling her that she, quote, opened a can of worms that didn't need to be opened, end quote. She was informed on January 29th that her contract would not be renewed. How is the CFL head office approaching the situation? According to a statement from the league issued on Wednesday afternoon, the CFL is committed to creating healthy and positive working and playing environments for all those associated with the league and its member clubs. We take the allegations against the Toronto Argonauts and Mr. Kelly very seriously, and we have opened an investigation in accordance with the league's gender-based violence policy. Out of respect for this process and all the parties involved, we will not be able to provide further comment until our investigation has been completed. For the record, the Argos did issue a statement to 3 after the story broke from TSN's Rick Westhead, it said the club is aware of a legal claim made by a former employee against the team and Mr. Kelly. The organization will not comment on private personal matters or ongoing litigation, but is steadfast in its commitment to providing a safe and inclusive work environment. It's clear to answer your question even more directly, JC, that the league is taking this matter very seriously and will undergo a complete and comprehensive investigation into what is alleged against the Argos and the reigning MOP of this league. I know that everybody wants concrete answers right now regarding what this lawsuit means for the Toronto Argonauts, what this means for Chad Kelly. And in a perfect world, we would be able to provide clarity for our readers our listeners our viewers here at three down nation right now this investigation is less than a week old and i think one of the issues at hand is that it has come at a time when a lot of people in and around the league team personnel take vacation time right we are now through free agency we have almost a month until the combine in winnipeg and so i do not expect this to be a quick investigation conducted by the team, conducted by the league. I do not expect there to be clarity here 
for CFL fans in the next little bit. Stay tuned to Three Down Nation for how this story develops. We certainly will be reporting on however this story goes over the next coming weeks, months, dare I say even years. And I wish, again, that we could provide clarity. At this point, we do not have the facts of this case. Nothing has been tested in court. Obviously, I think the league is wise to take any allegation against any player seriously. And the one thing I will say that I think is important for the league moving forward is the NFL, for example, has what is called the commissioner's list, where they are able to take players who are maybe experiencing, uh, we'll call it external uh, pressure or external um, circumstances that are potentially limiting what they can do on Sundays when it comes to playing or not playing. And I think that the CFL would be wise to have something similar because we had an internal conversation where we said, well, if this had happened in the middle of a regular season, would Chad Kelly be playing that next game? And I think right now the the answer for the CFL would be who knows, right? On the one hand, Chad Kelly has, again, had absolutely nothing proven in a court of law that he's done wrong. On the other hand, some fans might be upset if someone who had been accused of wrongdoing was out there throwing touchdown passes and having tens of thousands of people cheer for his name. So one thing that I do think should come of this, regardless of, of what happens with this investigation, again, we do not know what will take place here. I do think that the CFL needs to have a way in which they can uh, maybe allow a player, for example, to be paid because a player who's under investigation probably shouldn't lose paychecks if they have not been proven to have done anything wrong, but they also potentially, at least from the league standpoint, maybe shouldn't actively be playing in games. So that is something that I think we should see change as a result of this is if a player has something uh, arise, whether it's a civil case, whether it's a legal case, something like that, maybe there should be a better mechanism in place, at least in the short term to deal with that circumstance. Yeah, we're certainly not going to speculate here one way or the other about these allegations. They're certainly very concerning, but we don't have all the facts. And it's not fair to either the plaintiff or the defendants in this case to talk about those specific allegations until more information comes to light and a full investigation has been done. But I think your point about a commissioner's exempt list is well taken, Hodge, because we can look at this situation and the context of it and how it may affect the league because the league has been very strict about its gender-based violence policy in the past. It has set a number of precedents and that may affect this case. I've seen a lot of people come forward on social media and talk about innocent until proven guilty. And I appreciate those sentiments. Uh, we are certainly not saying that Chad Kelly is guilty of anything here. We do not have those facts, but this is not a criminal case. So the bar of innocent until proven guilty is not the same here. It is a much different type of civil lawsuit. He could be found not liable at all. He could be found partially liable. It could go in any number of directions. And the league in the past has not laid a bar of guilty in a criminal case for potentially suspending or barring a player from the league. They've done it when there have been allegations, when there have been criminal arrests and players are still awaiting trial. They have done it in the case of another potential argo in Nate Hawley when there was no criminal or civil 
charges laid against the person, and there was no court case at all, simply public accusations by a number of women that never amounted to anything legal. So based on those precedents, the league has wide-ranging power here to do what they please in terms of laying any potential punishment after they conduct their thorough investigation. So right now, it's not necessarily from the league perspective a matter of guilty or innocent. They're going to do their own work, and Randy Ambrosi has broad powers to lay a punishment that he sees fit. That's the real key to me here is the league is going to do their own investigation and gather the facts before they render a decision one way or another. And I think that's important, as Hodge alluded to, for everybody online and social media and in this fast news world that we live in. They want a decision now, but that's not going to be the case. They have to mind their legal P's and Q's first and foremost and also get their own facts of the situation. So I do believe the league is taking this very seriously and that there will be a thorough investigation conducted with an ultimate decision from the league about what should happen with the Toronto Argos in this situation and Chad Kelly based on their findings. And that could be wide ranging. It could be nothing or it could be, the discipline that they decide. I think the other factor here that some people haven't mentioned is the Canadian football league players association has a role to play in this as well. Immediacy is great, right? Efficiency is wonderful. There there's, there's few pleasures in life as lovely as punching an order in your phone and having a delicious meal show up at your house in 20 minutes that you did not have to cook, right? I like instant gratification just as much as the next person. But for all the people on social media demanding an answer, the good news, at least in this situation, is it's not week 15 of the CFL season, and the league can actually slow down, figure out what is happening, figure out what is going on. The legal system, uh, or at least the, the civil legal system, can, can take right can take its steps properly here. There is no reason to rush this investigation. What is most important here is that a proper investigation that uncovers as many facts as possible is done. And again, we promise a three down nation. We will continue following this story and doing a lot of this reporting to the very best of our abilities, but please exercise patience. It will take time. Again, I do not anticipate a, a, a ruling from the league in, in certainly not in days or weeks. If we get one, which I hope we inevitably will. It will probably be months. Um, And again, the Argos aren't scheduled to play for like 13 or 14 weeks at this point. So there's time. We can all take a breath and, um, and see how it shakes out. Yeah. And it's, it's important that they do it right because this is very much a watershed moment for the league one way or the other, because of the prominence of Chad Kelly, whatever the results of the investigation, they will have to have been done thoroughly and effectively and with the delicacy and care that this situation requires. Enoch Buwamba has retired from the Canadian Football League, finishing his career with 688 total tackles, 18 pass knockdowns, 17 sacks, 14 forced fumbles, 7 interceptions, and 3 fumble recoveries. What a stat line. He was a three-time East Division All-Star, two-time CFL All-Star, one-time CFL Most Outstanding Canadian, and was named Grey Cup 
most valuable player and most valuable Canadian in 2022 when he won his first title with the Argos, which ended up being his last CFL game because he did not play in 2023. How will you remember his career? Well, I, I think Enoch has the type of career that's it's really intriguing because he's basically been a story. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Fine. From the very start to the very end of it, right? You're talking about a guy who came out of Sang Effects and walked into the CFL Combine in his draft year and had what I would argue is a top five, if not a top three, combine performance of all time and undoubtedly the best ever from a linebacker at the CFL combine. He was that good, that athletically gifted, of course, came in, contributed as a rookie, got his NFL opportunity. And then you go all the way to the end of his career and his very last game, you can debate whether he should have won most valuable player in that great cup or not, but he received it. And our lasting image of him will be him standing on that stage with a trophy in each t- each hand, having won the Grey Cup with tears in his eyes. And I think that's a powerful lasting image. My only critique of Enoch Mwamba is that I think it's a little bit sad that when we look back at his career, we're never going to associate him with one specific team. He's sort of emblematic of the transient era of the CFL when one-year contracts came in for a lot of his career it seemed like he was chasing the biggest contract moving from city to city and more power to him I'm sure he's made a good chunk of change in his career and is very happy with that but I'm not sure there's any one individual fan base that claims Enoch Mwamba as their own like a lot of other guys of his caliber have that team where they'll go into the Hall of Fame with that jersey on in everyone's mind Enoch's not like that and to me that's a little bit sad I was at that combine in 2011 and if I remember right it might have been my first one ever actually covering it so some of the memories are fuzzy but I did not forget about Enoch Mwamba absolutely blowing it up and I felt like if he was in the right position or timing played out a little more in his favor in the NFL that he could have been a starting linebacker down there because he did some demon kind of work on special teams down there. And he was just as athletic as a number of linebackers in the NFL at that time and more athletic than a number of them as well. So that's how I'll remember him as an ultra athletic ratio breaking linebacker. I think as his career went along, especially in the CFL, people stopped thinking about him being Canadian just because of how good he was at the position. But I think he really helped change things for the long term in terms of Canadians being accepted by especially American coaches, talent evaluators, scouts, and general managers for playing that position at a high level, regardless of his passport. Right before we recorded this show, I did a 30-minute interview with Enoch Mwamba. The column will be out Thursday morning for anybody who has not yet read it. If you have, hopefully it's good. I don't know if it's good. I haven't written it yet. 
um, as the recording, <laughs> as of the recording, as as of the recording as a podcast. I'm writing it after we're done here. Um, but I actually asked Enoch Mwamba about the team issue. I said, "Look, you you played the most games with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers of your four CFL teams, uh, but you started the most games with the Montreal Alouettes. You won most outstanding Canadian with the Riders." But you won your only great cup with the Toronto Argonauts. So it's interesting how he kind of has a different achievement or a different, you know, uh, uh, you know, so, something that he had locked, something that he did with each individual club. And the team, you know, he, he loved all of his teams and he, he was raised in Mississauga. Yes. But the first place he lived with his family after they emigrated from Africa was Montreal. So he had ties there. And um, he did say, you know, being drafted by Winnipeg meant a lot to me. By the way, I think it's wild that one of the best draft picks in CFL history was made by Joe Mack. I did not have my money on that, but kudos. <laughs> it was one of the easiest ones in CFL It was, history, but though. he still Come gets on. he still gets the credit. It might have been the only good pick he ever made, uh, but it, you it get still two counts. points for a layup too. You, exactly <laughs> as they say. And uh, but anyways, Enoch did say. Spoiler alert that the Toronto Argonauts uh, meant the most. I don't to think Joe Mack could make a layup. Probably not. <laughs> um, but the point is he does feel like he has a team. And that is the team he finished his career with and spent three years with. Again, he didn't play this past season on the field, but uh, with a knee injury, he was on the six game injury list and did say there were conversations as the season progressed about him potentially making a comeback. Um, obviously the, the Argonauts were pretty loaded at linebackers. So there was no need to rush Enoch back, you know, they had guys like Jonathan Jones and Jordan Williams and Jack Kassar, Wynton McManus, right? Like it was a loaded group. He didn't end up playing. Um, but Enoch Mwamba seems very much at peace with this decision. And the way that he described it is he said, I actually want to kind of change the narrative or flip the script a little bit. He said, a lot of times when athletes retire, it's like a morose thing where it's like, oh, you, you can't do the thing that you used to do and that you loved. And he said, no, 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 this is like a celebration for me. Like, like, look at everything that football gave to me. Uh, he only started playing football when he was in grade 10. His high school coach was Gary Waterman, who is now a mm. very decorated youth sports coach uh, at St. FX, a, 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 an organization that I think has gone undefeated in the regular season since the onset of the COVID pandemic. Like, I think the X-Men have had three undefeated seasons in a row, pushed the Huskies in the playoffs in 2022. Well, Enoch is an alumnus of that school and went to the NFL, which is wild and obviously played at a very high level in the CFL for a very long time. So kudos to Muamba on a great career. And boys, I'll say this. It wouldn't surprise me at all if we saw plenty of Enoch on TSN's panel come the start mm. of the 2024 CFL season. That's what they call a tease in the TV business, Hodge. You're learning. Well, I'm always, I've, I've always been a tease, Justin. <laughs> Yeah, you're covering up that bald head, and we all just want to see how beautiful it is, but you won't put it on display. That's a tease. Not for free. Not for free. Hey. Hodge, am I going to get to rub it when we get to Winnipeg? <laughs> While you're feeding him chicken wings, JC, how about that? There we go. Yeah, Wing in I, one I, hand, the other one rubbing the head. I'll say this. The answer is yes, but you got to get it at the back of the line because you will not be the first person who's, who's asking me. <laughs> you know, all this things. talk about Hodge's lack of hair or hair is going to upset. I think especially one commenter who said, ah, just get on with the show. Like, can you not laugh a little? 
have a little fun. Take yeah, our show is like ninety. Life. It's like ninety-eight percent football. We're not one of these shows where it's like half the time they're talking about something different. So yeah, I don't, I don't understand, but whatever, that's fine. <laughs> Dunk, you reported that the Calgary Stampeders have hired former Saskatchewan Roughriders head coach Craig Dickinson as a consultant. How did that come about? It's pretty easy to see here, right? The brother connection with Dave Dickinson, who is the grand poobah, as I think you guys have said in the past. He's the head coach, general manager, making all the decisions there. And to give his brother a nice, soft landing spot after a tumultuous couple seasons in Saskatchewan, I think definitely helps him out. But the real interesting part of this to me is... As we all know, Craig Dickinson's background is in special teams. But if you go back Mm -hmm. just a few months ago, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders were putting together their staff with new head coach Corey Mace, who replaced Dickinson, who did not have his contract renewed. And they reached out to the Stamps to ask if they could at least speak to Mark Killam for potentially being on Mace's new staff in Regina. That request was denied. Now you have a situation where you have two veteran guys on the same staff, and yes, Dickinson is tabbed as a consultant right now, but who have an outstanding background in special teams. Now, if Killam ends up becoming free at the end of the 2024 season and is not in Calgary anymore, there are going to be multiple suitors there. But you know, I would have thought that Dave Dickinson would have had some sort of an idea that Craig Dickinson was probably not going to be back in Regina, especially after that seven-game losing streak to end the season and not being in the playoffs, and that maybe there were conversations to add him to his staff. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that perhaps that decision wasn't made until it was well down the road. But it just seems interesting to me the way that it's worked out in Calgary, considering those factors I laid out. Yeah, there was speculation that if Mark Killam was going to be the next head coach in Saskatchewan, and in him, we're essentially going to do a trade, right? Greg Dickinson was going to slot in seamlessly as the special teams coordinator with the Calgary Stampeders. And it should be noted that Craig Dickinson, obviously, it did not end well in Saskatchewan, but he is somebody who was an extremely well-regarded special teams coordinator before he became a head coach and was very well-traveled in that regard, even serving as the assistant head or pardon me, assistant special teams coordinator with the San Diego Chargers back at the turn of the century. And again, with the Oakland Raiders in 2010. So he has done this at a CFL level. He's done this job at an NFL level. Um, and, and the riders, I mean, obviously he was sought after in 2016 when he joined the organization under Chris Jones as a guy who who could help get the job done. He helped Chris Jones and that team, of course, win a great cup in 2015. He also won a great cup in 2008 when he was the special teams coordinator of guess who the, the Calgary Stampeders, right? So this is now his second go around with his brother. Yes, there is nepotism in football. There always has been, but I do see this as a legitimate hire because let's call a spade a spade. The Calgary Stampeders special teams groups, were not as good in 2023 as they'd been in the past. Mm -hmm. For a long time, they were the gold standard of the CFL. Am I saying they were poor in 2023? No, but 
they were no longer the absolute class of the CFL that they once were. So maybe this is a good move for the Calgary Stampeders just to get a fresh set of eyes in there. The one thing I will say is the last time we saw a veteran coach brought in to serve as a consultant, they became an offensive coordinator in a matter of months. Uh, So when it comes to a consultant, and I don't think the Calgary Stampeders, by the way, have even officially announced this move. I do wonder what the long-term plan is. Is it genuinely to be a consultant and hands-off? Or is it kind of an excuse just to get the guy in the door, knowing full well that he's going to be taking on a larger role down the line? I'm not going to speculate. All I'm saying is that has been previously done before. And I'm excited to talk to Dave Dickinson about this when he is available at the Combine next month in Winnipeg, because I want to get his take on how he sees his special teams group and his coaching staff rounding out. Well, I, I do think there's one other aspect of this in terms of the division of power or how this dynamic is going to work that maybe hasn't been floated out there. And that's the fact that Dave Dickinson took over both general managing duties and head coaching duties last year. I know a lot of people wondered if that had a little bit to do with the team's decline, whether there was too much on his plate, he's going to continue to do that job both or do both jobs this coming season. But if there continues to be struggles, if he doesn't find the balance, I wonder, does Dickinson go up to just the GM chair, Mark Killam, get his long wigged promotion to head coach. And then Craig Dickinson is right there to slagging as the full-time special teams coordinator. For me, that is a possible future solution to what appears to be right now a log jam of very competent special teams coaches with the Stampeders. Let's get it straight on Craig Dickinson. I think you guys have kind of alluded to this, but for clarity, he was a really, really good special teams coordinator mm-hmm. and had a Great year in that first season as the head coach of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in 2019. Kind of caught lightning in a bottle with Cody Fajardo. They're going off and having a great sort of run to superstardom there that season. They were first in the West Division. A lot of people thought, you know, maybe they were going to get to the Grey Cup that year and win that. Winnipeg spoiled that on their home field, but they were able to get back to the West Final in 2021. So, as much as I think his message kind of wore thin there and he felt like he tried everything with the Rough Riders, this guy is still a quality, high-level football coach who can help an organization, organization, excuse me. So you can mention nepotism and the fact that his brother Dave Dickinson ultimately made this hire, but he is a good coach. And I do think that that needs to be said in terms of mm. what's going on here. I think you guys laid out the other scenarios very well I don't think Dave Dickinson would want to give up head coaching but if he felt it was in the best interest of the team and Mark Killam became the head coach and Craig Dickinson was there to step in as a special teams coordinator that could be an intriguing scenario but you never know how things are going to play out you know Mark Killam in the past has been a hot head coaching candidate but because Calgary hasn't done so well especially the last couple of years and last year specifically going six and 12 and just getting into the playoffs. I think the shine came off him a little bit, but there could be some openings after the 2024 season. So that's why I think Dave Dickinson is kind of covering his bases here for if he loses kill him, or if there's that potential move down the line to make kill him the head coach in waiting, at least at this point. 
Hey, maybe maybe he's just being brought on to handle all of Dave's press conferences because we know Craig loves that and Dave doesn't. Maybe he's just trotting Craig out there as the doppelganger for all of the press conferences next year in Calgary. I like Does that Dave idea. Hate the media though. He wanted them to be there in BC before the game. <laughs> this is true. Yeah, it. I'll say this, Dave. Not talking to the media. That's bush league. Craig Dickinson is very affable in the press conferences, though. More so, but mind you, I generally deal with Mike O'Shea, so most coaches seem pretty affable. <laughs> and that Dave answers most questions. I would he say he does. He does. I, I feel he answers the questions, but I, I don't think he's happy about it. That's Craig fair. likes doing it. He seems to like it. We shouldn't speak for him. He seems. He That's appears true. to like it. Yeah. Um. I will say this, and. And by nepotism, I just mean that there are generally groups that run together. Sometimes it is blood relationships. Sometimes it's not. You know, I'll never forget the time Chris Jones essentially said that Steve McAdoo was the closest that thing that he had to a brother. Right. That is how close some of these coaches are. What I will say, though, and in defense of Craig Dickinson a little bit, because I appreciate what you said, Justin, oftentimes we judge coaches based off what they do as head coaches. And the reality is some guys aren't successful as head coaches for whatever reason. And that doesn't mean they're not amazing football coaches, right? Like Jeff Reinebold was a terrible head coach with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers back in the late nineties and then had a fantastic career as a CFL team, uh, CFL special teams coordinator, uh, Rich Stubler, had an amazing career as a defensive coordinator, didn't work out as, as a head coach. Paul Apolise, I think, would be another guy. He made a great cup as a head coach in Winnipeg. Other than that, the results were not good. Guess what? He's still a sensational offensive coordinator, and there is no shame in being a great coordinator because coordinators still, first of all, make really good money. They're second, super important, right? A head coach is only as good as their coordinators. And uh, I think they deserve more respect. I really do. It's now time for Hodges heritage moment on this day in 2019, 10 year veteran Travis Lule announced his retirement from the CFL on three down nation at the age of 36. The Montana state product overcame a slow start to his CFL career by being named the league's most outstanding player and winning the Grey Cup in 2011. One of very few players to win Grey Cup MVP and most most outstanding player in the same year. Though many of his best years were hampered by injury, Lule still finished his career ranked third all-time in passing yards and passing touchdowns by a member of the BC Lions. He now works as a financial advisor in Portland. Two quick things First off, I can't believe it's been five years since Travis Lulee mm. retired. <laughs> Time moves so strangely these days. And secondly, I will never forget when his career started. That was right when Twitter was starting to become a thing. And I will never forget the Twitter haters. We didn't use that word yet, but the Twitter trolls calling him Lullaby Lule because when he came onto <laughs> the field, it was so boring. Because he was not a remotely effective quarterback. And then all of a sudden, in a very short time, the right things aligned for him. The receiving core started to collect. The offensive coaching staff started to collect. The team started to collect. The defense started to get these turnovers. And within a matter of like a year, the BC Lions went from a very middling team with a very mediocre offense into a powerhouse and a Grey Cup champion. Not only Grey Cup champion, but a Grey Cup champion at home, winning that Grey Cup in 2011 in Vancouver. JC, since you're based out there, we'll start with you. What do you remember about Travis Lule? Well, I, I think the other 
point that needs to be made about that Grey Cup winning season and everything coming together is that's the year they started 0-5. So truly right. one of the greatest accomplishments in CFL history. And the last time that the BC Lions won a Grey Cup, which is now the second longest Grey Cup drought in the CFL behind the Hamilton Tiger Cats, which is a decade longer, but still second place isn't great. But for Lule, for me, it's about what could have been. Because at his peak, he was electric. He was a dynamic CFL quarterback, everything that you want at that position. And then because of shoulder injuries, I think we were really robbed of some tremendous years from him. And and that makes me very sad. If there's one player I could go back and erase an injury for, it would be Travis Lule because I think he was that good and he would have really elevating himself into the pantheon of CFL greats had he not had those shoulder surgeries. But he's also a what if for me on another aspect, because this is a guy who did some work around Grey Cups for Sportsnet, and I think would have been a fantastic broadcaster for the CFL, working for a TSN panel or something like that, covering the league. And he elected to instead go closer to home, spend more time with his family, and is very happy with that decision. But there's two careers there that truly could have been sensational for Lule, and I don't think we really got to see either of them fully materialize, which makes me a little bit sad. We thank Travis Lule for announcing his retirement on 3downation.com. More players should do that, but in all seriousness, Lule was one of those rare people that I will describe as an actual great person. I feel like that term gets thrown around way too much in terms of being a cliche, especially when we talk about people retiring, but Travis Lulate was that he was not bigger than anybody else. He did not have a massive ego and he made time, especially for the people that really show that they cared about football. I can remember having multiple conversations with him as a youngster coming up in the biz and talking X's and O's and learning from him. And I've heard stories of him being at those gray cups, covering it for Sportsnet with my colleague, Arash Madani and talking with the other reporters there on the same level, not like he knew more, but you could also glean so much from him and how he was talking the game through from watching it live way up in the press box. And I'll say like, there still has been time since his retirement where he's reached out to me and talked about our coverage on three downnation.com or the way that he views something versus perhaps the way that I viewed it and sharing his perspective in a respectable way that makes us all smarter for doing so. So I totally agree. He could have been great on the TSN panel. Perhaps maybe that's something he entertains in the future, although I doubt it, I think he really values that quality family time, especially with the ages of his children at that time. I think that's the reason why he made that decision. But who's to say, you know, with the Grey Cup being out close to home there, that somebody doesn't pick him up as an analyst. I think he would be a great addition. And man, I think of those injuries with him and also to what you guys said, agree what could have been he could have been an absolutely legendary quarterback in terms of his numbers in this league but guys I'll tell you when we published that retirement announcement on 3 the outpouring especially from the community there 
in British Columbia and Vancouver and different cities in that West Coast province was unbelievable, dare I say, unparalleled to anything I've ever experienced. And to me, that showed, yes, he was great on the field when he was healthy, but the time that he put in truly made an impact on the cities and towns and communities in Vancouver and around the greater Vancouver area. And that speaks to the character of a man that Travis Lulay was when he was in the CFL and still is as a human being. Well, and with Grey Cup being back in Vancouver this year, hopefully he's no stranger. And we run into him walking down the street, two steps ahead of Jumbo Cheese. We'll be behind us trying to catch his breath <laughs> as we walk up one of those many <laughs> Vancouver hills. <laughs> Let's go to the three-minute drill. Former CFL Most Outstanding Rookie nominee, receiver Preche Rodriguez, was arrested in Florida after allegedly punching a student at the institution where he worked as a behavioral support teacher. Obviously, a troubling situation. It should be noted, obviously, nothing has been proven in court. These are allegations, though the school that Rodriguez worked at did its own investigation and his employment was terminated. So we will continue to update the story if and when there is more to add to it. Team Canada is seeking qualification for the IFAF World Senior Men's Championship in 2025. Do you think they'll make the cut, JC? I certainly hope so. I love this idea of reviving the team for this men's championship. It's been a long time since they've been. I think there's a lot of talent out there that is not either in the CFL because they're free agents or they didn't quite make the cut or they're fifth years in U sports or they're playing overseas that can contribute to this team. Should be noted, the last time they played in the senior men's championship, there are two players still active, I believe, that played on that team. Jake Thomas and Liram Hiralahu. The red carpet debut of Andrew Harris's documentary Running Back Relentless is set for April 27th in Winnipeg. How excited are you? I'm pretty jacked up, man. This film looks behind the scenes to where not many people get to go with Andrew Harris and the story of how he rose from a Canadian Junior Football League star to one of the best running backs ever to suit up in the CFL. It should be a good one that you're going to want to watch. Canadian receiver Jaquan Bloomfield, Field, excuse me, Bloomfield, has been added to the 2024 CFL draft and will be at the CFL Combine in Winnipeg. Where do you see him going in the draft? Well, he his production wasn't like off the charts, but he did have a good season at Louisiana Monroe before going to the FCS level. To me, if this wasn't such a deep draft, I would say maybe round three, round four. I still think he gets picked. Might be more of a round five, round six guy, but we'll have to wait and see. It depends. If he runs something crazy at the Combine, which he will be at next month, he could help himself. JC, you exclusively reported that the Saskatchewan Rough Riders have added British-Canadian rugby convert Matthew Monaghan to their negotiation list. Could he be a legit CFL player? He's got a lot to prove still because he's never played a down of actual football at this stage, but he has the potential. 6'5", 230 as a rugby star coming out of London, England. He got a scholarship to the University of Akron and they tried to make him a tight end. That got derailed by a couple of foot injuries very early in his collegiate career. He opted 
to return home instead. But because of his Canadian citizenship and because he never played in a regular season game in college, he's a Canadian national free agent. And the Riders have done the very smart move of neg listing them him so they can do their investigations and potentially add him as a, a bonus depth Canadian with high upside. The Hamilton Tiger Cats have signed tight end Thaddeus Moss, the son of NFL superstar receiver Randy Moss. Do you see him making the Ticats roster? There's a chance. I know the Ticats want to experiment with him as a tight end H-back kind of a type, and perhaps he could play a little bit in the slot. What I'm most interested in, though, with this signing is if Randy Moss makes it up to training camp in Hamilton and actually appears there, it's usually been at McMaster University, Ron Joy Stadium. That would be so cool to see. And Ben Grant, our noted Argos contributor and diehard Cincinnati Bengals fan, told us that Moss was in and around the Cincinnati Bengals training camp preseason games when Thaddeus Moss was with the Bengals. So there's at least a chance. Yes, I'm saying there's a chance. Randy Moss could be up in Canada in the summer. Sergio Castillo is back for another year with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and admitted that Life as a CFL kicker is pretty easy, at least during practice. Can you believe he said that? I I believe he said it because it's accurate, but I was a little surprised he admitted it. Let me say the, the exact quote from Serge, and he was being a little facetious. Anybody who spent any time with Serge knows that he has a strong sense of humor, but the quote was, his dream is, and I quote, practicing five minutes a day and the other two hours just joking around with the guys, close quote. Which, uh, if you're an offensive lineman or a linebacker, practice is not like that. It's a little bit more intense. But for Serge, hey, he makes 90% of his kicks. How could you criticize him? So, nice to see Serge back in Bomberland. Reigning CFL Most Outstanding rookie Quantez Stiggers landed a top 30 NFL draft visit with the Detroit Lions. Is that a positive sign for his draft stock? It's a great sign for his stock, and it's not expected to be his last visit either. It's a bit of a misnomer. Top 30 doesn't mean they think he's one of the best 30 players available. It's just that you're only allowed to bring in 30 players for a visit, but teams target guys they think will be available at one of their picks that they are likely to select. It's a really good indication that at least the Detroit Lions are looking hard at Stiggers as a guy that they would take in the draft. Veteran cornerback Nafis Lyon has signed back with the Montreal Alouettes after missing 17 games with a knee injury last season. Is that a solid move? It probably is. Could be a depth piece. I know he was a guy that Montreal has been high on, but you got to stay healthy. The best ability is availability, and the Alouettes already have a nice young secondary there, so he's going to have to prove he's back and healthy to compete for one of those starting spots. Former Blue Bombers receiver, American Rashid Bailey, has signed with the Toronto Argonauts. Is he a fit for the double blue? I think he is. At least right now, Cameron Phillips is not back. And I think that Rashid Bailey has almost an identical skill set. He is a possession-style slot back who does a lot of the physical dirty work that a lot of receivers don't want to do. He is a great run blocker. He is a very good hitter he brings that physicality that edge he plays the game in a bit of a throwback style and for a Toronto Argonauts team that lost some key components in the backfield though that offensive line remains intact I'm sure his blocking will be appreciated 
Elks head coach and general manager Chris Jones said his team is shutting it down and likely won't add any more pieces after a quiet free agency, saying, quote, we didn't try to do anything, close quote. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't make sense. The Elks needed to add some pieces on defense. We've talked about this. I can't believe he said that out loud. That's the type of thing you keep in your internal monologue, Chris. Former CFL quarterback and assistant coach Will Arndt has signed with the Albany Firebirds of the Arena Football League. Are you going to tune in to watch him play? No, I'll be good. Moving on. Two-time All-Star defensive <laughs> back Terriel Brooks has retired from the CFL after six seasons with Hamilton in Ottawa. Though the Red Blacks, I don't think, made at least the logos that he had on the statement posted on social media. How will you remember Mr. Brooks? I remember Cariel Brooks as, I think, a very underrated shutdown guy in this league. He played predominantly the boundary halfback spot, which is often where you are seeing the top or certainly a top two receiver from your opponent. There's a lot of pressure on that spot, and he played it at a very high level for his tenure in the CFL. Last one, tragically. Former CFL defensive lineman Craig Rowe has passed away from colon cancer at the age of 33. The University of Michigan product played five seasons in the three-down league with the BC Lions and Winnipeg Blue Bombers, recording 110 tackles, 34 sacks, five pass knockdowns, four forced fumbles, and two fumble recoveries. Now, I had caught wind that Craig fell ill. I direct messaged him on Twitter in September of 2022, this was a month after his diagnosis and wished him well. He did reply saying, thank you. Um, but I mean, this is a cancer that according to the NCBI has a median survival time of nine months and he made it 18 months. Uh, Craig did not want media attention for his illness. Uh, all he wanted was to focus on D-Line University and his family, D-Line University being his online kind of teaching publication, uh, something that helped him grow tremendously. This is a guy that between Twitter and Instagram had close to 200,000 followers. And already since his passing, we've seen a tremendous outpouring of people not only talking about him as a man and a person and a husband and a father and all that stuff. It should be noted his wife Chelsea has a GoFundMe on the go right now to cover medical costs as well as future education costs for their young child. And um, I mean, he, he's clearly a guy who, outside of being an, an, an outstanding player and person, was was also taking a lot of pride in the work that he did as a coach, mm -hmm. helping teach the position at which he excelled. So again, this was not a surprise. I caught wind that Craig had been moved to hospice uh, about a week ago, but it is still an absolute gut punch. It is still such an unbelievably tragic thing. Him and his wife struggled with infertility. They were very open about that on social media for a long time. And it wasn't long after their first child was born that Craig fell ill. And so this is a really, really horrible uh, development and uh, obviously on behalf of Three Down Nation, I'd like to wish his his you know his wife Chelsea, their their child, and all of Craig's friends, former teammates, everybody, uh, all the best. This is uh, I mean yeah. he's he's a great guy and and obviously gone very 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 much too soon. And his his legacy will live on because I can speak as as a high school coach, high school defensive line coach specifically as well. And not only do I use Craig Rose resources through D-Line University, but he's somebody that all of my players follow on Instagram as well. And they do that without me telling them to. 
he's that much of a resource to young people who frankly don't follow the CFL as much as they should and may not have any awareness about his playing career or what he did north of the border, but trust his insight and believe he is a resource who can help them get better. That work that he did will outlast him because he's made so many young athletes better and had an impact on so many lives beyond just his immediate family and friends. It truly is a tragic loss. That does it for this episode of the Three Down Nation podcast. Be sure to tune in for our latest epi next week. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.